and welcome to Thrift Shop Biography. This is the one about Prince Harry. Thank you for listening. Hello. Hi. How are you? Excellent. How are you? Yeah, really good. Because this week I've been reading Spare by Prince Harry. So have I. Oh, can we still call him Prince Harry? It, ooh, I think he is still Prince Harry by name only. It says Prince Harry on the book. Yeah, I think Let, he is. He's just got no uh, job anymore. Let's call him Prince Harry. Yeah, we're going to call, we're just call him Harry. Him. Yeah. I still call Prince Charles Prince Charles, even though he's King Charles. I know. Me we too. live in the past. I know. So, hey, Prince Harry. How did you feel about Prince Harry before you read this book? I, oh, that's difficult. I think I wasn't interested in him. I didn't really care about his problems. I don't dislike him. Just didn't care. How about you? Um, similar. I'm not really into the royal family. I like them as pop culture icons. I like Diana, not because she's a royal. I mean, she's not. She was. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel the same way about Harry. If anything, of all of the modern royal family, he's the only one that I've been remotely interested in. And I kind of love what he's done by leaving and all of the discussions that's provoked, etc. I've avoided it. I've 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 backed right off from the news. So I yeah. So um a lot of this was new to me. Oh really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Did you enjoy the book? Absolutely lapped it up yeah couldn't put it down didn't intend to didn't even want to read it wasn't interested wow now i'm absolutely talking to everyone about it (laughs) let's talk to each other about it can't wait (laughs) come on let's do it right prince harry oh my god i don't remember all his names do you he's got loads of them like harold something blah 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 did do windsor and his dad wanted to call him albert after victoria right yeah but diana said no way yes gonna call him harry no actually his name's not harry it's henry henry they call him harry no they called him harold they call him harold willie his brother willie he calls him willie all through he calls him willie all through the book and it never gets not funny (laughs) does it do you laughing the whole way through yeah so was i Willie calls Harry Harold. Yeah, it's like Harry's they formalise his, his name as a nickname. Yeah. It's the opposite of normal. Yes. <laughs> Which is basically their whole life. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he's called Harry. Has. He's one of those people with a million names, isn't he? Megan calls him Has. Yeah. She's the first person to call him that. It's like hazmat suit. It's because she's toxic. <laughs> hey! I don't actually mean that. She's not, is she? No, She's I like right. her. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we'll get on to her. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't know Kate was such a monstrous bitch. But anyway, that's coming up soon. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. was he born? He was born in 1985. It's weird, isn't it? Because normally when we begin a podcast, we kind of say, oh, the mum was this and the dad was that. We don't have to do that because everybody knows who Harry's mum and dad yeah. are. If anybody doesn't, it's Charles and Di. Charles is now king. Di is dead. Mm. What a contrast for Parentage. your parents. Oh, one is a king a and point. one is dead. I love it in this book where he goes, it was right in the epilogue, he goes, and my phone rang and I answered it and it was the call saying, your granny's dead, your dad's the king. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah, it's an odd life, isn't it? That's nuts. Yeah. Yeah, and we've got to remember that, well, that's your gran and that's your dad and blah, blah, blah and they are just a normal family, they're really, really not. No, they're not at all. And they don't even behave like one. It's not like, oh, the insight into this family is that they're actually quite normal. They are absolutely not. I've always maintained that being born into a royal family 
is a kind of human rights violation. I agree. You literally have no choice about your life and what you're going to do with it. The moment you're born, your whole future is mapped out. And interestingly, Harry is the only person who's made a change out of that, which is why I'm interested in him. I didn't even care about that sort of first world problems, blah, blah, blah. Oh, what an insight this book is. Right, anyway, we've got to get back to the story. <laughs> right, he leaps straight to when he's 12, basically, because obviously his childhood is childhood. He goes from this yeah. palace to that palace, school. He doesn't, he skips over it because his life as he knows it began when his mum died. It made me sad to read how he was told his mum died and yeah. how insensitive it all Kind of, but that's this family. That's the biggest bombshell right at the start, isn't it? Yeah, so they're at Balmoral. Yeah, he's having a lovely summer in Balmoral. Happy time. Oh, and he loves his mum. Yeah, of course, everybody loves his mum. Everyone loves his mum, but his mum to him is a very real and totally loving person. The most real and loving person in his life. Mm hmm. Because of how weird everybody else is and how standoffish they all are. Yeah, right. Everyone else is an employee. So she really is the only real loving person for those boys. Yeah, and his dad comes in the room at two in the morning. Yeah, why just not let him sleep in? Well, it's kind of about when it happened, isn't it? Because it happened in the middle of the night if you were in Britain. And puts his hand on Harry's knee, which he said was extremely affectionate for his dad. Yeah. That's what he remembers. And he says, Mummy's been in a car crash. She didn't make it. His first thought was, oh, we'll visit her in hospital. And then she didn't make it. And then he leaves the room. Yes. And leaves him in bed until nine in the morning when formerly they're awakened by bagpipes and marched down to breakfast. And all the formalities of their life continues. I noticed this little 12-year-old boy is woken from his sleep, told his mother has died, and then left on his own until daylight. Yeah. It's a bizarre way of handling things, I have to say. First of all, they could have waited till the morning. They're not going to find anything out. We don't have cell phones at this point. You know, he's not like he's going to wake up and find it on a Google alert. Secondly, his brother's in the bedroom next door. And they don't even talk to each other. Yeah. Why not get the boys together in the morning and then break it to them together? I totally agree. I mean, that's the biggest shock of this book. And it plagues his life. So during those waking hours, those seven hours... He formulates the idea that there's no way she's died and that she will have disappeared because she was so miserable by being constantly pursued by the press. She had a really, really miserable, traumatic life that she'd often talked about escaping and starting a secret life somewhere. And so he decides, of course, that's what she's done. That's what this is about. And he's got those seven hours to really ferment that plan into his brain. And that remains until about 2013. Yeah. When he first goes to Paris and gets driven under the tunnel and actually sees this tunnel where she died in a car crash. In his mind, it's this tunnel full of hazards. Maybe it's really long and it's narrow and maybe there's dividers up the middle, which I always imagined it to be. Like it's difficult to drive through. Yes. Like I pictured it. Until I read this book, I didn't know it was short, wide, empty, without hazards not something you would crash in if you were especially a professional driver. Yeah. So in 2013, he realises that she was essentially murdered by paparazzi and that somebody should have been held accountable. And if there's no one in prison for that, it's a cover-up. Yeah. He says those words, Mm -hmm. but only in 2013, because up to that point, he still has never accepted that she's gone. Yeah, I know. He's constantly dreaming. He's walking past her and he knows, hey... It's you. 
I know, isn't that? It's the most yeah. tragic part of this whole book. Similarly, when Diana dies or when Elvis dies or when Michael Jackson dies, people are always saying, oh, they're still alive because it's really hard to believe that somebody so magnificent might die in something as simple as a car crash. But I think if that was your mother, he's just not accepting it on any level. Mm. And in fact, even in the writing of this book, when he talks about remembering his mum, he always says things like, oh, it's been three years since mum disappeared. He doesn't say, say she died. Every time you read the word disappeared, doesn't your heart break yeah. a little bit? Since mummy's disappearance. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, he just, it's very powerful to keep reading that, the way yeah. he writes that. I wondered at times if, because he really did act up through his teenage and young adult years. I wondered if at some level that was a sign to his mum to come and get him. Look, wow, mum, I'm yeah. not coping. Do you know Trying what I mean? Trying to get attention from his yeah. mum. Come out of hiding because yeah. I need you. Yeah. Do you know what? Yeah, he doesn't actually say that, but that is... Yeah, he might not know. He might not even realise. Yeah. God, he, it's so He sad. knows it's because he's got a hole in his heart that he's trying to fill with anything. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really heartbreaking. I remember shedding a tear watching the funeral, and I shed tears for those kids. Oh, it can was, we talk about that for a minute? Them. Because yeah. before I read this book, I knew Harry and William, but Harry especially because of his age didn't have to walk behind the coffin. It wasn't royal protocol or anything. It was a choice made by Prince Charles. Yeah. We forget now because he's king. But in 1997, the whole world loved Diana. Yeah. People didn't like Prince Charles. The public didn't like Not Prince Charles. All. In fact, we didn't really like the Queen as much as we do now. It was all about Diana. And we all knew about Camilla by that yeah. point. Yeah. So, like... Public opinion of Prince Charles was so low that he was scared of being booed on the funeral yeah. procession. So he got the boys to walk behind the coffin for, like, insurance against booing. I can see why he would do that, because it would have been terrifying for him. But those boys oh. were absolutely traumatised. And even near the end of this book, he says, why would adults do that to children? Yeah. He says, well, now I've got children, I would never, ever do yeah, that to them. I exactly. would never... You know, it's the way they've been treated just as commodities. It's, yeah, so anyway, if anybody doesn't know because they were too young or something or they didn't know, they paraded Diana's coffin right through London. There's a route. It's the royal route. They do it for weddings as well. Unfortunately, it's the same route. So he's been traumatised many yeah, times right. in many Having different formal it. events. Yeah. yeah, And there's carriages and he says... The clipping of the hooves and, you know, it's a really long walk all down the mall, all round Westminster, past Parliament, all the way to Westminster Abbey. And he says any time he's in that sort of situation, he hears those noises, it triggers all those memories because they were walking behind the coffin. He didn't believe she was in it. Yeah. He must, on some level, he oh. does say sometimes on some level he must have known, but he squashed that level right down, which is where all of his problems lie. And they had to walk behind the coffin the whole way without any hand-holding or uh, yeah, any know. affection. Yeah. He says he didn't cry as well for a long time. He didn't cry until 2013. Wow. He said he cried... When the coffin was being lowered into the ground... Oh, that's the worst bit anyway. But, <laughs> yes, but he said he didn't cry because he thought she was dead. He cried at the idea of, imagine if she was, but not because she, he yeah. thought she was. Anyway, it is really significant because the whole thing obviously shapes his entire life. I yeah. mean, he was 12, his brother was 15. I mean, he had the same thoughts. He also thought she'd disappeared. Yes. And he also did for years. 
And they both went through the tunnel in 2013 separately to work that through. And both came together on that, thinking that is insane that she died in there and that it was the press. And it actually begins the other part of it, the denial. These are two parts of the stages of grief. There's, what, seven? Mm -hmm. He only gets to two. One's denial and the other is anger. And those are where he's trapped. And he's extremely angry with the media. And it's a lifelong war he's raging that it's the biggest war of his life. I fully back him in his fight against the media. I think the media are the evil in this world, actually. But also what's the conflict in this book? Even though he's fighting the media, he almost can't get his family to back him up, even though they're being treated the same way. Although because Harry takes the media on, they really go for him, so he's getting the worst of it. But it's just odd how his family seem to make their peace with yeah, the Yeah, they won't back him up because they play it. Yeah. They play the game. They're throwing him to the wolves every yeah. now and then, throwing stories to them about him to make them look better, yeah. don't they? There's so many times where these stories are leaked. There's a few times where he absolutely knows the only person he's told that stuff to is his dad yes. and Camilla. Oh, it's so Camilla. Some of the time, it, it actually definitely is Camilla's PR person. There's one point where he says... This story was leaked about him being a drug addict, which is absolutely wrong. He is secretly a stoner since the age of 14, but he's not a drug addict. And the picture of him going to a rehab centre was him going there in a charitable cause. Camilla has given that story to the press to take attention away from her wayward son. I mean, they absolutely use him like no one else because he's spare. Because he's literally spare. If this was a Shakespeare play... Camilla is the villain, like no question. But here's the thing about that. Camilla was doing it back in the days of Diana, so she's well-versed in it at this point. Her contacts in the press go back decades. And Prince Charles is an idiot for not... Well, he probably does realise he just loves her. He's blinded by... But he's playing the game as well. It's true. Yeah, I don't think he's a very nice person. What's interesting about this book is how much affection Harry has for his dad at times, actually. Mm. And how much affection Dad has for Meghan, which really surprised me. Anyway, look, we'll get there. We need to go. (laughs) uh, It's interesting because I didn't dislike Charles from this book. I don't think he came off as bad as I thought he would. No, I think Harry's written him in a very human way. And like we were saying about being in the royal family is a human rights issue. Prince Charles, that's happened to him. Exactly. And he's actually probably had it worse. He's giving probably more affection to his kids than he got. Oh, God, that awful bit where, like, Prince Charles is, like, four and mummy, Queen Elizabeth, goes away on a big foreign tour for six months and he's missed her terribly. When she comes back, all she offers him is a firm handshake. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And then they ship him off to boarding school to toughen him up and he gets horrendously bullied. And Harry says that Prince Charles said to him he didn't know how he survived yeah. it. No, he says, I almost didn't survive yeah. it. And I thought, Christ. I almost didn't survive. Did he try and, like, kill himself at boarding school? No idea. But also, when he says he's being bullied, Harry says, well, you know, it was a tough boarding school. And he was sent there specifically to be toughened up because Dad was creative, sensitive and artistic. And I just thought, wow, well, I really like Charles I know. now. Poor and he boy. calls him darling boy and my darling boy all the time. You know, so verbally, he's he's very nice. And when Harry phones him and says, what do I do about all this media? Because he's full of rage all the time. Giles always says, don't read it. Mm. And it's like what we said about Mel C. Yeah. It's like, why are you reading this yeah. stuff? But, you know, years later with therapy, he, they tell him you're actually obsessed. 
you've got a compulsive disorder with your war with the media. You know, so there's no telling him. But actually, it is good advice. Yeah. He shouldn't read it, but he has to. He's obsessed. The difference is, is that his dad is a pacifist. And so I think it's easier for his dad not to get involved in it and think, yeah. well, you know, I don't I don't want to confront You're it. You're right. Harry's he's a soldier. To, Harry's been to war. Yeah. Yeah. But he's a soldier he's a in his soul because yeah. actually his mother's murderers have never been held to account. No, of course, that would give you rage. And nobody else can see that. Yeah. Imagine, I'd be the same. Yeah, it is weird what Charles and Willie don't see, even to the point at the end of the book when all this is over and he's had many arguments with them, they still say to him, we don't know why you left. And Harry's like, what? You don't know. How do you not know? And then he kind of goes, I had to rationalise the fact that they probably didn't know because they didn't just get it. Yeah. I've got from this book that you've got two parents. Imagine... Parents from two different worlds. One is very royal and one is very real. And mm-hmm. I know she was rich and aristocratic, but she was a school teacher and not royal. It doesn't matter how rich or aristocratic you are. It's completely different if you're from the real world yeah. or if you're from the royal world. So you've got two parents from different worlds. And Harry seems to me that he's his mother's son. Yeah. And Will's both... You know, he's mixed, you know, whereas Harry has stuck to one side. So Harry relates to being real more than he relates to being royal. That's what it seems to me. And as a real person, he's clashing with this other side. He's, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We see him as royal, but now I've read this book, I realise that he's real. Yeah. I know they all are real, but it's very much to do with signing up with the firm. And he's never signed up inside himself. He's never really signed up. And even his connection with the Queen is real. He's connected with the real human side of the Queen. He has not connected with the royal side. So even she would skip protocol to talk to him, whereas she might not skip protocol to talk to anyone else. Not to Willie. This is... I had a special relationship. Yeah, I love the relationship between Harry and the Queen. And it's literally because he's the spare. She can be more relaxed with him, with Willie, because he's the future monarch. She has to be official and yes, royal. She has to keep train him up, really. Yeah. But with Harry, she can be a grand. I mean, she is grand. like a grand. Oh, it's yeah. so sweet. It's lovely, isn't it? But I also think that that's the friction between Harry and Willie. Yeah, I would agree. He sees Harry being treated differently. Now, really, from an onlooker's point of view, you would say that Willie gets the best treatment, actually, because he is a future monarch. And you know, like Harry says, when they're kids, Willie always gets a better bedroom. He always kind of comes first. Yep. Of course, he's a future monarch. This is a royal family. But is it better? Is that actually better treatment? Because the humanity is missing. Do you know what? Full disclosure, I didn't know why this book was called Spare. That's how interested I oh, am why? in the royal family. No, I didn't know you had an heir and a spare. But we should know that because Lady Di said that when Charles turned up at the hospital when Harry was born, he said, great, I've now got an heir and a spare. My job is done. Yeah. He actually said that and he meant it. Harry says the media call them the heir and the spare, but he said that's a term that was used within the immediate yes. family. you think it was just a phrase... A derogatory phrase, but actually it's real. Yeah. He really is spare. So within his family, yeah. he kind of at times, he said he just felt like he was there in case Wills needed a kidney or something. Yeah, yeah. So he's always felt like a second class mm-hmm. within this first class family. He really did feel like the runt. This book, the way it describes, and it really, oh, It's a really good book, I must say. It's really well written. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely packed full of detail. And when we read other biographies, 
all of the people we read are famous. So they all get absolutely hounded by the media, stalked, staked outside their houses, all this. But this really, really describes how that really is in a way none of the others have. He actually takes the time to describe when two particular people are always wherever he goes and they jump out from behind cars and they throw questions at you. They try and trip you up. They do anything they can to make you want to kill them so they can get a story. It almost read like a zombie film. Yeah. You know, he's just out and he thinks, phew, then all of a sudden on the horizon he can see them advancing towards him. Then he has to run. And they're like ants because if there's two of them there, there will be more, there will be more. They're just never not there. And the psychological impact, particularly because he's at war with them, I guess. And not least because they killed his mum. They killed his mother. I mean, it is a horror film. Yeah. There's a point where he gets a new secretary, which is like a PA really, isn't it? Is that JLP? Yeah. Jamie Lother Pinkerton or something. Yeah, very posh. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he asks him for the first time ever, he says to him, can you get photos of my mother's crash? The police files. Because nobody has ever talked him through it. Yeah. And that's the other thing. No one ever talks to him about his mum's crash. Well, but this guy said to him, no, it's not a good idea. So that's probably why nobody... Yeah, Yeah. So he gets these pictures and he studies it and he sees a picture of his mum in the car not dead, but nearly, and he sees all these lights around her and he thinks they're angels for a while and then he zooms right in on them and he sees that they're actually the faces of the journalists that are taking photos of her inside the car, not helping her, not opening the door to get her out to see if she's all right, to save her life or give her CPR. They're taking photos. Can you imagine what that makes you feel to see your mum just being photographed even almost in death? The rage. Yeah, I reread this bit because I kind of thought, wow, I found it really hard to believe that any human beings, paparazzi or not, would actually take photos of a dying person that they could literally open a door and touch. Yes. They were taking photos of her rather than helping her. And also knowing it's Princess Diana. What's happened to your brain that you take photos of her for money rather than help her? Yeah. Yeah, it is a real insight into the paparazzi. There's many insights in the paparazzi in this book, but that was just like, wow. Yeah, and you can, I can feel, I feel angry now. Imagine how he feels that's your mum. Imagine that's your mum. That nobody helped her. Yeah, and then every single day of your life, you're having photos taken of you by, as far as you're concerned, the same people. Yeah, he said that for a couple of years afterwards, because, you know, it was reported that she'd been killed by the paparazzi, essentially, he said there was kind of just this unspoken understanding that the boys would be left alone. And so for a couple of years, I mean, they were at boarding school anyway, there wasn't a lot to report, but they were left alone. And then he said at some point, I think when Harry was about 16, he said it just became open season again. And then they just never left him alone. He said they made him into a cartoon. And he also said he knows how dangerous it is to dehumanise people. Any people in the world, that's what war is, dehumanising people. And they were dehumanised. Of course, later he dehumanised the enemy and then killed loads of them. Yeah, do you know what? That's the one bit in the book where I kind of thought, oh, this is a bit hypocritical here. Like, you understand that you've been dehumanised and trained to kill in the army, which you have done but he doesn't consider that the paparazzi are actually trained to dehumanise people as well. And they're yeah. quite, I know they're not... Oh, you could say the paparazzi aren't killing people, but actually, in Harry's head, he says that the paparazzi yeah. killed his mum. So I, I did find it a 
bit incongruous that he's I slagging just... off the paparazzi, yet he goes to war and kills 25 yes. Taliban. And he justifies it by saying those Taliban are killing innocent people. They are the enemy. He's not a pacifist. He's full of rage. I love yeah. the bit where he actually says, the army say, oh, you're unstable, your mother's died, your dad's married her usurper or whatever, and you're full of rage, come in, join the yeah. army. You're absolutely the right person to join the army. That's very scary. You need people who are really messed up to train them to kill. So he does he does sort of acknowledge. I also think as well, if we're going to jump to talk about him in the army, yeah. I kind of think it's almost working against the army to put a prince, a royal prince, in the battalion because it immediately makes that group of people a target. And they know it. Yeah. And it's a nightmare for them. And I thought as much as they know they've got to take him in and take him on these missions... I bet there's so much more working behind the scenes. I bet there's so much money put in that he yeah. doesn't know about yeah. to protect him. Because it's not just him. Like, if the Taliban or whoever, obviously in a war, if you can kill the royal prince, I mean, that's like final level yeah. boss. That's like maximum points. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, well, what about all the other soldiers and stuff around him at that time? But he absolutely talks about that. He talks about how he, his first mission was Iraq and they pulled him because... Yeah snipers had had his pictures circulated so they actually had to pull him it does kill people there is one point where he does turn up in Afghanistan and the press have leaked exactly where he's going and it reaches the Taliban they break in and attack them and two American soldiers were killed that time and that's because of him in his mind as well it's because of the press leaking where he is it is interesting that there are no blocks on the press reporting where Harry is yeah. at any time in exactly. war because he's such an obvious target. Yeah. It's like if they can report that, then they can just report anything. Yeah. Because they are literally putting his life at risk. Everyone's life at risk. Yeah. Your country's soldiers. Well, I think the answer to that is I know it's a great PR exercise to have the royal prince going to war, but actually you shouldn't send royal people to war because it puts the actual soldiers at risk. It does. You just have them doing safe jobs like the elephant's plight. Yeah, I mean, Harry is very good at nearly everything he does other than academia and school. Now, here's another thing. It's like he's a royal prince. He goes to Eton. Didn't occur to me before I read this book. What if you're not very academic? Yeah. And you get sent to Eton. So his mum's died. He's at Eton. He can't do any of the work because it's too advanced. So he's smoking dope at the age of 14 because school is too difficult for Mm. him. But he has to stay there because he's a royal prince. Yeah. So he's really actually a dropout quite young, isn't he? He is, really. I love the bit about them being taught history. And the teacher just turns to Harry and goes, you should know this. This is your family. (laughs) He's really mortified. And then the teacher eventually apologises and gives him a ruler, which has got all of the kings and queens in history on it. He said, I don't care. I don't care about the history of these people. He's just not interested in the mm. royal thing. He's not bothered. He's the spare. What does he care? Yeah. I also love that he says the stories about Princess Margaret, the Queen's sister who was the spare. She'd already lost the plot by the time he was a kid and got to know her and she gave him a biro for Christmas, <laughs> which he comes back to a lot. He, she wrapped up a biro and gave it him for Christmas. <laughs> So he just thought she was a bit nuts. Then when she died, he thinks, oh, my God, I've really missed an opportunity because she's the only other spare I could have talked to to talk about what it would feel like to be a spare and what she's been through, and he missed that opportunity. Mm -hmm. She took to alcohol big time. She wasn't allowed to marry who she wanted. 
It's interesting, actually, that until I read this book, I didn't realise that Prince Margaret actually was essentially Prince Harry yes. a couple of decades before. She kind of just became a, not a playboy, but like a play girl. <laughs> And that yeah. she was just part of society and she just drank herself to death. Really, yeah, which she? he could have done, actually. Yeah. I mean, he did a bit, yeah. quite a lot on and off in his whole life. He's just partied and because he was angry, frustrated, and he couldn't go to war. He couldn't do what he wanted. He couldn't do what he was trained to do. So, I mean, when he is then deployed, first of all, it's Iraq and then it's Afghanistan. One time he goes to Australia to these people who have, like, in the outback, and he's what they call a jackaroo, which is just a general dog's body really, yeah, really helping out but he loves it yeah. and he loves it until the paparazzi find out yeah. where he is they literally travel to the other side of the world the outback yeah he says as soon as two of them turn up i know the rest yeah. will come so he had to go but he was there nine weeks i think best nine weeks of his yeah, life he, he loved said. it of course because he's just out the way and he can do he's doing physical it's, work he's sort of wrangling cattle isn't yeah. he this other lad who's the same age as him and he's working really really hard physical work in the heat on horses coming back eating loads of food having a cold beer on the porch and just being a normal person yeah. without security while they're like in a hut nearby and then of course he ends up in africa where he almost has surrogate parents yeah, right it, it meets surrogate parents is it Tej and mike yeah they sound wonderful they're, yeah they do they're documentary makers they've worked with david attenborough yes so they're those people. They're out with animals in the wildlife, trying to preserve, trying to bring attention to the poachers and trying to oh, Hang on, doesn't Harry just stumble upon them? He's out in Africa for another yeah, reason. He's that's with right. a documentary crew or something, isn't he? Yeah, no, he's with some other people. But somebody says, there's documentary makers. Do you want to right. come meet them? And they're yeah. having a party, so they party with them. Yeah. And he just completely clicks with these yeah. people. And they really take him under their wing. I mean, they know who yeah. he is, but they treat him yeah. just so normally. And for the rest of his life, when he yeah. needs to go somewhere, he goes to see he, them and he says things like, I just like putting my head on the woman's lap and she strokes my hair and I can talk to her about all my problems. Yeah. There's nobody like that in his life. It would have been his mum. She would have been hands-on, affectionate, yeah. and he could have talked to her. Gosh, it's amazing that he literally has to go to a different... Africa. Yeah. Yeah. But he finds something that almost is beginning to make him complete, you know. He finds these two people. And any time he gets spare time, he runs back there, even if it's just for a couple of weeks. Yeah. He said somebody said to him, you might be from the royal family in London, but Africa is where your soul was born. Yeah. Or and he says it's the highest compliment I ever could have received. Yeah. So it's weird. Like, he's never been there. He has no ancestry from Africa, but he goes there and he just feels like it's home. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad he found that. I love this story where they're all boating down the river and there's a storm. It's really dangerous. And they're in these boats trying to row really fast, trying to get to where they're going. Suddenly, there was a lightning flash and they saw this huge family of elephants and they just saw them lit up in the lightning and there's a storm in the river and they're just floating down the river and he goes right past this elephant and the lightning lights up its face and the eye of this elephant is just looking at him and he's just looking straight back at this elephant and he just finds it this moment of truth there's something true in the world and real I guess in that point he's losing his rage and he's actually just connecting with the world mm -hmm. he goes I must remember this it's not all bad. And also, I guess, going down a river in Africa in a storm, you're not really being chased by the paparazzi, are you? No, <laughs> it's no, one, It's not. one of the few places he yeah, can be yeah. where he's not being pursued. Yeah. So. Now, listen, I want to talk to you about the hunting. Okay. 
What did you feel about the story about being taken to kill a beautiful deer and all that? Yeah, no, I kind of get it. That I mean, obviously, I oppose hunting, but I do think on an estate, the culling, culling. of deer is a different thing because it stops a population from exploding and it stops the spread of dizzy blah blah. There, there are reasons why. I understand why it too. It's cold, but what I yeah, thought was weird bit. is just what they do to Prince Harry after yes. he killed his first deer. Yeah, so he killed it. It was a clean shot in the heart, so it didn't feel any pain. And they say it's so you can also eat it because if it feels fear, the mm. adrenaline goes through the body and the chemical of that means you can't eat it. Yeah, go on, say what they did to him after. So he's with this grizzled old guy who's like the head hunter, right? Scottish Balmoral, yeah. isn't it? So Harry kills this deer, and I think it's just the two of them at this point. Mm. Harry is like a young teenager, yeah. right? They go over to the deer and then this guy gets out a knife and he slits open the stomach of the deer and then he gets hold of Harry's head and pushes it right into the guts and the entrails and the blood to the point where Harry's like, I'm going to pass out in a minute. And then he pulls him out and obviously he's covered in blood. He says he stinks, but that's a ritual you do it's from your ritual. first kill. And you can't wipe it off. It's got to dry on you. I mean, it's, it's barbaric. Very, it's caveman. <laughs> it is. <laughs> And he's like the warmth of it, and he's right. His head's right in the stomach. Yeah, it's just nuts. <laughs> I mean, it's very royal family bullshit, isn't <laughs> is it? it? Yeah, a bunch of weirdos. Yeah, so we can't all be oh Harry this, Harry that, without mentioning there's some absolutely crazy <laughs> stuff that happens that he doesn't actually say is wrong. He accepts a lot of oh, stuff. No, listen, I'm a fan of Prince Harry within the context of the royal family. Yeah. I don't think in the context of all the men who ever lived, he's that great. <laughs> yes. Um, also, I think this book, and I don't think he realises how out of touch he is yeah. with society. Now, of course, he's been brought up in a royal family. Why would he be? But there are just a couple of things through this book, like he talks about a poem and he goes, there's not a school girl or schoolboy in the country who doesn't know this poem. I think, I don't know it because I didn't go to yeah. Eton. Yeah, right. Do you know what I yeah. mean? And yeah. there's something else similar that he said that he just thinks is like common knowledge for yes, everyone who grew yes. up in England. It's like, no, this is quite particular to the upper classes. Yeah, yeah. But fair play, he really doesn't know the real world. And to be honest, I didn't know his world, so you can't know everything. You can't know everything. <laughs> so... You know, he becomes an older teenager. He becomes 18. He's a young adult with everything that's happened to him. Oh, when they were kids, it does sound like he is a bit crazy. Like when him and Willie go and hang out with their friends, things escalate and they have play fights. It seems like Harry would take it too far yeah. to the point where like the friends are kind of like, you're mad get off us yeah like, it's the rage though. yeah but he also says he felt very connected with willie at that point as brothers but he did also say this is when harry is still smaller than willie he says that he would often have to go in and save willie in a play fight because he was a bit crap harry said he was always embarrassed about that because he was a younger brother he felt like the older brother should have been saving him but that just tells me, yeah, that Harry does have a lot of anger, that a play fight can escalate to the point where his friends are saying, get off us, you're oh, mad. Oh, yeah, but this is all after his mum died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he hasn't absolutely not dealt with it. Yeah. He hasn't even been able to talk about it to yeah. anybody except occasionally, will he? Will he? <laughs> 
mean, he complains about media attention and then he does completely daft things like dress up as Hitler at a friend's party. Well, I was interested to read about this because I remember it. I do too. And I kind of think this is him being out of touch again. Yeah. Because, you know, let's face it, when was it? 2000 and something? You know, he says, oh, well, a friend had a fancy dress party and the theme was natives and colonials. It's just like, well, come on, in 2000, you yeah. know that's a bad idea. Anyway, if you don't, you're out of touch. And I, yes. this is why I think he is yeah. out of touch. And the whole they gang all is, are. the whole aristocratic gang are, yeah. And then, because he's not really into dressing up and stuff, you know, Kate and Wills. They are, by the way, he hangs out with Kate and Wills a lot. It does sound like the relationship with Wills gets better when he's with Kate, because Kate sounds like enormous fun. Sounds really nice. And he talks about them really laughing yeah. and giggling to the point of tears and he does say that his sense of humor his silly side is very transparent and he said he could bring out kate's very guarded silly side yeah that really endeared me to her because it just made me think oh she's great fun but of course she's very good at being a royal princess you know she has that demeanor but behind it she's enormous fun anyway they have this fancy dress party Harry goes to the fancy dress shop and there's only two appropriate costumes left. One is a pilot and one is a Nazi. By the way, why is there a Nazi uniform in a fancy dress shop anyway? (laughs) And then he phones William and Kate and he says, oh, there's a pilot's uniform or a Nazi uniform. Which one should I have? He says, William and Kate say, oh, get the Nazi one. And they all laugh. Yeah, so he's brought them into it. Yeah. He's throwing them under the bus there, isn't he? Yeah, well, I think if they were part of that decision, why not? (laughs) And then, of course, he wears a Nazi uniform to the fancy dress party, where, of course, because of the social circles they move in, it's just an understanding that there are no cameras and stuff. But then somebody snapped a photo of Harry in his Nazi uniform and made the front page of the paper. I mean, because you're a royal and you should not be dressing up as Hitler. It's just so obvious. I remember when that was in the paper. You're like, that is absolutely wrong. Yeah. What are you doing? I mean, it's beyond an error of judgment. Yeah, and I I, think, I'd let him get away with most things, but not that. I think it's this thing he always, you know, like his mum was a woman of the people, and I think he is an obvious man of the people, and it's a way he tries to present himself. But every so often through this book, something happens, like dressing as an artist. You think, yeah. oh, you're so disconnected. Yeah, from I know. Because he's always saying the paper's story was always, he's an idiot, he's the wild one, he's totally stupid. And you think, well, I'm sorry, but <laughs> you kind of in are. this case, you have been completely stupid. Yeah. And he says, what was I thinking? Everyone said, what was I thinking? I wasn't thinking. And he ended up having to go to a rabbi and learning all about why he was <laughs> oh wrong. <laughs> and uh, he now really knows he was completely wrong. Oh, here's the thing. I think this whole book is about change, and I think it's about the change in this man. Yes. And he does. He talks about things like his unconscious bias and stuff. And I think Megan's been really good for him in that journey. True. It it is about growth. He recognises where he came from, what his lackings are. Yeah. And he does actually make progress and tries to change himself. Like, as he says, like any teenager who makes mistakes who's growing up, who doesn't know everything about everything and has to learn the hard way by being an idiot sometimes. But his was magnified. Yeah, it's front page news. Yeah, Yeah. all through his life. So anything he did wrong. And it's interesting as well, like, you know, all these other books we read, most of them are people who 
sought fame. You can always say to well, you brought it on yourself. But with Harry, no, he really didn't. He was just born into this family yeah. under the world's microscope. Yeah. So twatting about with your mates becomes a massive crime yeah. every now and then. But he admits to so much stuff. He smokes weed since he's 14. By all accounts, he still does to this day. Yeah, he does. He talks about it, you know, when he's older with Megan, he's out on the porch having a spliff. He's really honest about it. He gets into coke a little bit when he's a teenager. And then there's a period of time when he's older just before he meets Megan when he's actually at Monica from Friends place in Courtney Cox America oh, yeah. yeah Who and he, he's a massive Friends fan yeah. he's like obsessed with Friends and he can't believe he's at her house and they're doing mushrooms. Oh, no, acid. What's Connie Cox doing with acid? I think it was just a party and it was at her house. I don't even think she was at her own house. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, he, he's really honest about a lot of stuff like that. And another thing he's very honest about, he takes... Oh, and this is his biggest achievement, is working with wounded soldiers and doing sports and challenges like going to the North Pole. Yes. He goes with them and he isn't properly trained and he doesn't know to protect your penis against oh, the cold. God. So he gets frost-nipped fingers, nose, ears... And penis. This is a bit sad because when he gets back home, he's in quite a lot of pain. <laughs> but because he's so afraid that people leak stories, he daren't tell anybody because he doesn't want it splashed all over the papers because he can't trust even his own dad not to leak a story yeah. about him. So he can't tell anyone that he basically thinks his knob's frozen off <laughs> and he'll never be able to use it again. And it lasts for months, doesn't it? He's walking around with a private agony. Yeah. I think if he eventually goes to a doctor that just says time is the only thing that will heal this. I kind of felt like he talked about his cock too much in this book. He kept coming back to it. Yeah, but it must have been a major trauma. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just nice because you just feel like he's just being really, really open. About everything. But I don't think too you much. need to You be, like yeah. too much information. Yeah. And then he says when he then goes to the South Pole, he says like this woman makes him a cock cushion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> make sure it's very, very warm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was a bit weird to be reading about Prince Harry's cock and I wondered why he included it. <laughs> it's a bit classless, isn't it? Well, it's a serious problem that might affect you, you know, so other readers if they're considering what, a trip going to, cold to the North places. Pole. Be warned. To get a cock cushion. Yeah. So he does have girlfriends all the time from school. He does. And you know what? Ruins every single relationship. The paparazzi. Yeah. Yeah, or the media attention at least. Uh, Chelsea, who I think was probably the one who looked like she might have become the wife, he was with her. Well, she was African, right? Yeah, a British person who was born and raised in Zimbabwe. Yeah. And loved Africa. And that was their big connection, really. But she would get bothered by the paparazzi as soon as people found out who she was and her picture would be everywhere. Bothered? Hounded. Yeah. They actually put a tracer under her car because Harry worked it out. She couldn't work out how they were finding her. Basically, that relationship ended. I mean, they loved each other, but she just didn't want to deal with that level of attention from the media and the paparazzi. And Harry said to her, well, you know, you just have to think about it as a chronic illness. And she said, well, I don't think I want to live with a chronic illness. Exactly. And that was the big love of his life. Every other relationship he had ended because they phoning him up crying, going, my parents' house is hounded. All of my friends, my workplace is hounded. When he finally meets Megan, he really describes it 
they're camping outside a house, but they're ringing the bell all the oh, time, day and night. Yeah. So it actually could drive you mad. You can't sleep. Her dogs are traumatised. Yeah, she, she has to has, give her dog away. Her dogs just, because the paparazzi literally keep ringing the doorbell. Of course, her dogs don't understand. But day they're and night. They're yelling so all the time. it's torture. Yeah. It, it's to drive crazy. you mad so you yeah. can get the photo of yeah. them going mad. Yeah. It shouldn't be allowed. I don't blame him for trying to get laws changed. Well, I think he is You're getting being laws hounded. Changed. That yeah. can't be legal. Well, it is. It is. But I just, no, I don't think it even matters that it's not legal. I don't think those people care. They were literally taking pictures of a dying Diana while, while exactly. they could have helped her. Why would they care if it was illegal or not? Yeah. Sometimes they nope. get so much money for those photographs. If it was illegal and they got fined, they could pay the fine. Yeah. He's saying when he's with Megan, the price on their head is $100,000 for a photo of them together. Wow. Of course they're going to do everything they can to get that photo. So how did he met Megan on Instagram? Well, yeah, he was... Because there's lots of times where he's been so depressed, he's holed up, he lives at Nottingham in a cottage. Not copped. Yeah, not copped, he calls it, yeah. Yeah. And he holes up there. Yeah, where he says he was borderline agoraphobic. Yeah. Which, of course, because if every time you're leaving the house you're getting papped like that, I'd stay at home. Yeah, it's partly that. And he gets therapy after Chelsea opens him up a little bit. And they tell him he's got PTSD, but it's not just from war. He said, my war started when my mum died. Yeah. Which is true. So it's partly war, but it's partly just agoraphobia caused by being hounded. Actually, with Chelsea, he said for a long time, she never started a conversation about his mum. One day she did, and that's the first time he cried, right? Yes. So that was the beginning of being opened up. So he's holed up at this place which he did every now and then just completely barricaded himself in drinking probably smoking weed eating food and being depressed not seeing anyone and he's on Instagram and he sees a friend of his with this beautiful woman and he messages her and she says you're the sixth friend of mine to ask (laughs) so he's straight in there can I have her number? And they start texting and they really hit it off immediately. Yeah. I think they're really mutually very attracted to each other, mm-hmm. mutually. And they meet up at Soho House. She has absolutely no clue how he can't meet in public. She says, I don't want to meet at your house. Let's meet somewhere neutral. And he yeah. thinks, you have no idea how hard that is for me. <laughs> it's amazing how much she doesn't understand at first. Soho House in the middle of London. It's a theatrical members only club, but it's still kind of Public and very real. I kind of think how she didn't seem to understand the level of how the paparazzi attacked him. I thought, well, she does have a modicum of fame herself at this point. She is on a big TV show. And I wondered whether she occasionally got papped. And so she thinks that's the level that Prince Mm. Harry gets papped. Also, she films and works in Canada. It's not like the paparazzi are in England. I think we have the worst ones in the world, don't we? Yeah, I think we do. This is Meghan Markle, by the way. She's an actress and she's in a TV show called Suits. Yes. And so I think maybe she just assumes it's kind of the same for him as it I has think been so. for her. And Soho House is a safe place for actors yeah. away from the media. So mm. that'll be all right for Prince Harry. <laughs> Not a clue. <laughs> but he goes there to he meet He goes there her. twice. Yeah. They have a nice there. time, don't they? Yeah. But of course, he's a prince still and she's a busy employed actress. So uh, they hit off, but she has to go back and film and Prince Harry has to go off and be Prince Harry. And be Prince Harry. Well, appointments. Yeah, and so they obviously want to meet each other again. And then Prince Harry's got like one week open in his diary. Meghan checks to see if she's got any time free. And she has one week free in her diary. And it just so happens to be the exact mm. same week. And they really think it's meant to be because a friend of hers has said, leave one week for something magic to happen. Right. And it was the exact week that he had 
So they really feel like it's fated. Mm-hmm. There's a lot about it that kind of is, actually. And then he says, so, OK, let's go to Botswana. I mean, that's quite... Yeah, but for him, that's the place where he yeah. can get away. Right, that's yeah. That's the place he won't be followed. That's the only place they can really have a week together. But, uh, but for her, from her point of view, this is, she doesn't leap. know this man yet. It's a massive leap. Yeah. So that's really early. I mean, how many times have they met? Like They've twice? Had two dates. The second one in Soho House, they snogged. But they texted so much. They were on yeah, the phone and texting and constantly. And yeah. it, it was just it was a real whirlwind and they mm-hmm. fell in love very fast. And if anybody thinks it might be fake or in any way that she was conniving, which I might have had the odd thought of, oh, she's an actress, it's playing another part. No, they absolutely need each other and love each other. I have no doubt about that. I have no doubt about it. And do you know how I kind of come to that conclusion? I think Harry's punching way above his weight here, and I think she's too good for him. Wow. And I've always thought that. If you take away the fact that he's a prince and she's an actress, just as far as people go, she's so accomplished. We've never told this over here. It's not right. She's not just an actress. She's tons of stuff. All that activism and stuff she's done, the press really demonise her here, and I felt that they never really introduced her properly to us. You just thought she was some actress who leapt up and bagged herself a prince. Actually, she was incredibly busy for the years before she even when she was a student she was doing activism and stuff it was almost like you know we read some of these books as like Jane Fonda her acting is almost a channel so she can get a bigger audience so she can do political things Megan's almost like that like she has this part on a TV show but every opportunity she's doing speeches and being an ambassador and also she had a couple of million in the bank yeah oh yeah because she's got her own wealth because yeah Okay, it says she was an actor, a lifestyle writer, a travel writer, corporate spokeswoman, entrepreneur, activist and model. Yeah, so she's a well-rounded... A self-made person. Yeah. yeah, and she's too good for Harry. What's he done, really? Well, he wants to do stuff. Killed a few Taliban. I, I tell you what, his biggest achievement is, it's the Invictus Games. They're actually starting an Olympic Games for wounded veterans. That's his biggest achievement. Definitely. And it's amazing that he got that going. And it was his idea. He's seen something like it in Colorado and thought, let's have a whole Olympics of it. It's brilliant. Oh, I think they both use their position. Do you know what? This is a thing with the royal family. I really think they're idiots for driving them out. I know they kind of wanted to leave anyway. The royal family should have made accommodations to keep Harry and Meghan. I think they're both the most exciting people within that boring family. And I also think it's really (laughs) short-sighted to let especially Meghan go because we're all going to be dead in 20 years. Do you know what? The royal family to survive have to appeal to the new generation. (laughs) The only people that were doing that were Harry and Meghan, especially Meghan. And because of selfishness and petty things, they ousted the two people who could have kept the royal family relevant into the next century. Completely agreed, but they would have been driven insane by the media and they actually had to leave the country for themselves as humans. So it isn't just the palace that's driven them out. No, the but media the, have driven the them out. The palace could have made accommodations for that. They could have let Harry and Meghan go and actually, live in another they country. They could have been based elsewhere yeah. and still been ambassadors for yes. their country. Yeah. Well, for his country. Yeah, they could have. From the point where they got together, I'm aware of their wedding because it was. I watched it. I don't miss a wedding. And it was fantastic at Windsor Castle and stuff. It was beautiful. And I'm aware the media were racist towards her, but I never read it, any of that crap. I absolutely completely, like I said, I backed off from the media. And reading this, I was absolutely appalled by 
what they said about her. Like black blood entering into the blue blood or whatever. All of this. Harry marrying into the ghetto or something. Oh, my God. It's absolutely vile. It's unbelievable. Utter, utter racism of the British press. It's disgusting. When I read this for the first time, what the papers were saying, I'm like, no bloody wonder you want out. And you're saying, I need to protect this woman. You've told her you'll be her protector and you want kids and you want to protect them. Yeah, get out. I support him leaving. Yeah, I do. The press are terrible to a lot of people, as we know, but they particularly had it in for Harry and Meghan in the most blatant way. It's disgusting. Uh, But I actually think that in itself is hard to deal with, but then actually realising quite early on that most of the bad press was coming from within your own family. Yes. I mean, what can you do at that point? You just have to get out of town. Yeah, you do. And it's just so obviously coming from Camilla. Yeah, there's a lot of it's coming from her. I mean, Christ, it's like easily traceable back to her. Like there's no doubt it's coming from her. It's either her or Prince Charles, but of course it's Camilla. Yeah. And she's always, she did it when Diana was alive. Yeah. In order to get good press for herself. Well, actually, she should have operated on trying to get good press for herself, but she didn't. She just played the game where she would feed bad stories about Diana to make herself look good. Yeah. Prince Charles as well. Oh, that whole thing about Harry and my drug shame when he was a kid. He said that came from his dad's camp. Yep. It got sympathy for him. Yeah. He was a struggling single father with his wayward son. Yes. That was the story angle. That's what they sold him out on. They hung him out to dry. They've constantly hung him out to dry. And bearing in mind he is kind of fair to his dad. Yeah, he really, I understand I guess he that. understands that his dad's playing the game too and needs to be popular and blah, blah, blah. But he is... Another thing about Prince Charles, in his defence, being talked about being born into a royal family mm. beyond your control, Prince Charles didn't really want to be a dad. No. He didn't really want to get married. He was like 32 when no, they forced no, yeah. him to marry Diana. And he was happily married Camilla and just had, had no a children, nice life. Yeah. But he was the oldest son and it was his duty yes. to give us the next king. And so he had to do it. I just don't think he really wanted to. So I think fatherhood was foisted upon him mm. and he didn't particularly want to. And I think Harry says, you know, at times they bonded and his dad really tried to be a dad, but it just kind of wasn't in him. Yeah. So I almost try not to demonise Charles that much because he's a victim of the royal family as much as Prince Harry is, but also the way Charles and Camilla treated Diana. Like, okay, Charles would have preferred to have married Camilla and didn't want to marry this 18-year-old. But the thing is, all of that can be understood, but Charles and Camilla, you could have been a lot nicer to Diana. Yes, absolutely, yeah. We covered this in that Diana podcast. And in the same way now, you could have been much nicer to Harry and Meghan. Yes, (sighs) yes. This book really taught me a lot of things, not least how much Charles liked Meghan. Oh, they lo- yeah, they really got on. Really got on. It, because they really love classical music. Yeah. They love theatre, obviously. He loves actors. He's, re- he's obsessed about theatre. And Harry said that Meghan almost presented him with a side of his dad that he didn't know yes. about. He almost said that Charles got a bit giddy when yeah. he was talking to Meghan. Like, he really came alive. Yeah. He really liked her. And he said things like, wow, I knew my dad liked music, but I didn't know he loved it this much. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they connected over dogs originally. Oh, yeah, actually, no, she connected with the Queen over dogs. She really oh, got yeah. on with the Queen. She really got on with the Queen, of course. 
Yeah. I mean, the, the Queen loves Harry anyway, yeah. so of course she's going to want to welcome his girlfriend. Yeah, in. but they actually genuinely yeah. got on. And I love that Meghan can just walk into that family and hold her own and talk about yeah. classical music and yeah. stuff. She's very intelligent yeah. and worldly and cultured. It's funny, the first time Meghan was going to meet the Queen, it was that accidental. She, oh, the Queen yeah. was just there when they'd gone around to see Fergie and the cousins. He says, you are about to meet the Queen. Yeah, yeah. She went, yeah, but it's your crown. <laughs> Yes, but it's the queen. It is the queen, yeah. yeah. I love that Fergie came running out and said, right, don't worry, but, but the queen's This is how you curtsy. This is how you I think it's probably better it happened that way. She just didn't have time to think about yeah. it. Oh, and I love the fact that she said there was this man holding the Queen's handbag when they walked out. Meghan said to Harry, oh, who's the Queen's assistant? And he goes, oh, that's my uncle, Prince Andrew. <laughs> yeah, and he goes, she hasn't Googled us. Brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, but I also found that weird. He kept maintaining that Meghan clearly hadn't Googled us. And it's like, okay, she might have been so disinterested in the royal family. But if you dated Prince Harry and you knew very little about the royal family, you would Google them, wouldn't you? Yeah, unless you didn't want it to actively thought, I don't want this to mess with this person I've met. Mm-hmm. You might actually actively not. And she would have had some dealings with the press up to that point. So she might have known not to trust anything, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Well, another thing that he goes to great pains about is to tell us how low maintenance she is. Mm. Like when he proposed, yes. he says after they proposed and they had the whole nice candlelit picnic, he had to say to her, oh, do you want to see the ring? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Isn't that lovely? And um, she always says she's more of a ripped jeans and barefoot girl, which she really is. Yeah, which I think Kate didn't like, actually. That was their big difference. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They went to the palace to propose uh, setting up a slightly different scheme where they could be in Britain, part-time, do part-time work for the royal family. And they basically said, no, you're out. And they removed them completely from all royal duties. That's not what they asked for at all. They just wanted to see if they could set up a different scheme. They removed them from all royal duties, stripped them of everything but the title, I think. And all security was then removed, bearing in mind how much they're hounded. All security was removed. Well, in the meeting, when that happened, the one thing that he left with was security. Yeah. So they still had the security team. And then a few weeks later, when they were elsewhere, the call came through to the security team. And the head of security went to Harry and said, I'm so sorry, we've been pulled. And they basically just packed up and left there and then. And so the most hounded couple in the world who had a baby at this point. Yeah, she had a miscarriage during all of this stress. All of a sudden, they'd really left out on their own. I love that Tyler Perry gave them his Hollywood home. And the reason being is because his mum adored Princess Diana. Yeah, not because they knew each other, (laughs) but that she'd visited Harlem and that to her was everything. So she loved Di. Yeah. So Tyler Perry said, you can stay in my home. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. But even then, the security, they can't stay anywhere for more than six weeks because even in a heavily guarded home, they'll get helicopters. Drones now. Drones. They can't be... So they were in this really lovely house which had a garden overlooking the ocean and for six weeks it was bliss and then the drones started flying in. So then they were prisoners in that house as well. So I don't know what they're doing now. I think they might be in America trying to get some film company together, but I refuse to Google them for this podcast because I refuse to ever Google them ever again because if I Google them, I'm making the media want to go out and get pictures of them. Well, you know what happened? I might not Google anybody ever again because of reading this book. (laughs) This is what I know this year, 
is after they did the big publicity thing about their Netflix documentary and about this book, and people were like, oh, you know, they just need to go away. Actually, they said what they had to say, and then they did go away. Yeah. And in fact, for the first six months of this year, Meghan Markle made one public appearance, and the only time she was seen was when she was getting out of the car and going into the venue. So for the last six months, we saw Megan once walking from a car to a building. The Daily Mail has run at least seven stories about her every single day. Wow. So it's like she doesn't have to do anything. Yeah. She doesn't have to go yeah. anywhere. The press are just going to write shit about her yeah. all day long. People were saying, I know this before I read this book, if they don't want all this media attention, why would you write a book? Why would you do a TV show? Now I've read this book, I really understand that Harry just needed his story to be told. And like he even says his therapist, which he gets a good one eventually, that actually unlocks his feelings and therefore unlocks his memories about his mother, which he didn't have any. Yeah. They were blocks and then they came back. So now he's got a whole world of memories from naught till 12. But I get that he needed us to know what he's been through because we don't because the media have told their own story about him and he says his therapist he looked up at one point to see if she was listening and she was sat there with her mouth gaping open she said i'm a british citizen i thought i knew your life i didn't know anything and i really felt the same i thought i didn't know this person i didn't know what they went through i had no clue and i will stand by him now I now know his story. I feel like everyone should know the truth before they judge him. Yeah, I think the one thing, if I was to take one thing away from this book, I mean, I kind of knew it already, but it's that the evil in this world is the mass media. Yes. And it's interesting how the King of England and his wife bow to them. Yes. And the media in control like Rupert Murdoch all of the big media barons are ultimately more powerful than the king yeah. of England and they're not held accountable by yeah. any laws and there's really only I think two massive media companies so it's just like a yeah. duopoly but as citizens we can remove our interest we can stop reading newspapers we can stop buying them and stop giving those people power because if we keep buying their papers we're giving them the power. We're giving them the job. We're, yeah, that's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Also, but I personally like becoming vegetarian. Yeah. That's my choice for me. I'm never, ever going to pick up those papers. Okay, but it's not just a case of picking up papers now, is it? Because everything's All online. go online, so I'm not going to Google <laughs> these people. I know, but I don't. I think it's beyond that now. I think when you go on Facebook, there are all these groups which are paid for your feed now, especially Twitter has been so corrupted since Elon Musk has taken over, that actually beyond your control, you have headlines coming down your feed which you subconsciously read which are lies but don't click on them no you, you know. don't have to i think if you just see that headline enough times it mm -hmm. somehow mm -hmm. seeps in and you you begin to believe it mm -hmm. we just need to burn the world down oh, i don't know what you do i think mass media is a cancer on society yeah its main aim is to keep us divided and one of their massive weapons of division is Meghan Markle. <laughs> yeah. uh, you can easily divide this country into people who like Meghan and people who don't. And that's There are also people who are indifferent, which was me. I am indifferent about her. I don't know her as well as I know Harry because I was at his parents' wedding. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was actually on the mail. Which parents' wedding? Charles and Di. Oh, wow. I was at his parents' wedding and I watched him being born and I followed his entire life. So I am invested in him. 
And I wish him well, but yeah. I wish him out of it. I do. I'm glad he's out for his own sake. I love that they're out of it, and I totally understand that. I just think the royal family are idiots for letting them go and not figuring out a way to make it work. Yeah. And the reason I think they didn't is because they know the dealings they've done with the press, Charles and Camilla, yeah. and I think they're terrified of that all being exposed. Yeah. Plus, they went rogue right near the end and actually were trying to take the media to court to try to change laws. Well, that's rogue, and so you're out, you know. Oh, you're out. when Harry did a statement to the press about the treatment of Meghan, Prince Charles called a meeting between Harry, Willie and Charles, and Willie and Charles had a massive go at Harry saying, you shouldn't have done that. You've made us look stupid. And he said, what do you mean I've made you look stupid? And they said, because we never released statements about how the press treated our wives. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we're on his side, aren't we? Yeah. Do you know what? I think almost that Charles and Willie wish they could be more like Harry and make the stand that he's made. But... They're the heirs. That's the king and the future king. They kind of can't because the mass media has them by the balls. Yeah. The very fact that Prince Harry is the spare is the reason he can do this. Yeah, it's true. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Thrift Shop Biography. We love making this podcast and we're absolutely thrilled that so many of you are already listening. You could really help us out by leaving us a review somewhere, wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you could share us, tell your friends about us or drop some links on social media. We have a Facebook page called Thrift Shop Biography. So make sure you come over there to hear about the episodes first and what else we're up to. Okay, see you next week. And if you're new here, there are loads more episodes now to go and listen in the back catalogue. So make sure you go and enjoy them. Okay, thank you very much.